Tonight's episode is brought to you by Uncle Sam Safari Outfitters, located in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Vendetti Optics and you, our listeners. The romantic side of me would love to believe that I caught a glimpse of something that had happened in lifetimes previous, perhaps centuries before. That's the romantic side of me. And it was a really special moment. Now, the truth, honestly, is more likely that some hippie who had been camped upstream dropped some acid and was just out looking for the next exit to Shambhala. What is up, all of you wayward souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell stories of adventure in the great outdoors. We tell stories of experiences and self-discovery. We essentially share our wanderings and our wonderings. Um, this is what it's all about, sharing the experiences we have with one another, because I ultimately believe, deep down in my core, that that is one of the biggest key and simple-to-do components of making this world just a little bit of a better place, because the more we understand about each other, the more empathetic we can be, the more we can broaden our minds, the better we can become as a whole. And that's kind of like the whole point is we live on one tiny little ecosystem. If you think of the earth as a entire ecosystem in the giant cosmos, as we are finding out in the last 30, 40, 50 years, how giant it really is, especially here in the last little while with all of the new telescopes. I say new telescopes, all of them, the one that, what is it? The James Webb that just went up and what Hubble has done for us for the last couple of decades. Like it is kind of mind blowing how insignificant of a speck we really are. And you think about it, we're just a bunch of little amoebas swimming around in a tiny little water droplet in the vast ocean of the universe. And, you know, really, it's kind of a small place when you think of it that way. And really, the better we can all get along, the better off we all are. And one of the keyest, like keyest, that's not a real word. I'm sitting here in comp two right now in my, <laughs> in, in my coursework. I'm in comp two. And that was a horrible, horrible example of grammar, but that is also what I'm known for. The whole point was to all of that little diatribe that, you know, let's just all try to get along because the world gets better when we get along. And it's a lot easier to get along when we kind of understand each other's perspectives and where we're all coming from, what we're all dealing with. So let's get on with things for tonight. How are you guys doing? How have you been for the last two weeks that we haven't seen each other? I'm doing like great. To be completely honest, I am doing just absolutely fantabulous, okay? It is fantas. Why is that? Because, as you heard in the last episode, my time, my um, embattled time, five years with Big Purple, finally came to an end. As you listen to this, I am now two or three weeks into my new job, and it is awesome, so I'm doing great. Okay. Like, yeah, I make a whole lot less money. Things are getting tight. We're going to have to bootstrap it up, but you know what? That's okay because I don't come home and bring work with me anymore. I don't have to because it's not that stressful. I can show up, do my job and come home. And that is rare. That is rare. So I'm doing like really, really good trying to settle back into something of a normal life here and move forward. Um, 
one short update before we get on into tonight's episode um, on the sleeping bag update. We discussed this previous to, I believe, the Big Purple episode. We were talking about our gear solutions. Yeah. Um, what was that episode title? Does not matter. But we were talking about gear solutions. And I was talking about I was in the throes of trying to find the right new sleeping bag for me. Something that was something of a compromise of weight and size and technicality, but also, you know, budget constraints. And I think I found that in a Marmot sleeping bag or Marmot, Marmo, Marmy, Marmar, Mar, Mar. It's the one that starts with a Mar and has a cute little Marmot dude on like their logo. So it was that, <laughs> it was them. And I found one, a, a 20 degree sleeping bag, which is, should be more than enough here in Arkansas. If you have any reasonable amount of skill and logic, when you go out in the wilderness, a little bit of, of knowledge that you have gained, like 20 bags, 20 degrees is totally workable. You know, you take out your thermals, you go out prepared. Maybe perhaps if you're doing the, the hammock camping, like I like to do, you take out a, um, a hammock blanket that you throw across the bottom to help out a layer of insulation for the, the areas where you get your kind of pressure points and it gets a lot colder in those areas because you don't have that cushion of air. But anyway, got a really, what I'm feeling like is a really great sleeping bag. I don't have to get back to you guys on how well it really works, but I paid an absolutely reasonable price for it. 20 degree bag and it packs up super super small and it is super light and I mean it's like one-fifth the weight of my old sleeping bag system my old modular sleep system that I talked about in some of those episodes it seems at the moment to be a killer decision and I just wanted to give you guys an update on that and I also picked it up in um, Fayetteville at Uncle Sam's Safari Outfitters and I just wanted to throw out a little shout out to them because they're a really great place to get some gear. We got some awesome places here in Arkansas to get gear. You got Pack Rat. You have the um you have Uncle Sam Safari Outfitters. You have the Woodsman down here in Fort Smith. And there's many others. Many others. And as I've mentioned before, I like to get stuff locally in as much as I can. If it is available and it is reasonable, I prefer to spend my money locally with especially Arkansas owned or locally owned um business people like that's good for the economy it's good for small business it's good for a lot of things so I try to do that and I ended up finding the one that I wanted at Uncle Sam's Safari Outfitters and I just wanted to say like they've always been good to me over the years like I kind of like try to spread my purchases out amongst all of the local different things as they're available um, and I ended up with them this time but they've always been good to me throughout the years and they also I wanted to throw this out there for any of you Arkansans that live out and about any of you who might be in search and rescue or law enforcement or EMS anyone who's a first responder they give a discount first responder discount um, which is great and I wanted to point that out and give them kudos for doing that they have a new store manager there now as I found out and spent some time talking with them a couple of weekends ago and on top of that and perhaps more importantly they have a new store puppy dog 
Okay. And that's kind of like a thing that's always been a thing for them. They've been around 40 years this year. As a matter of fact, I was just looking into that. Um, and she was telling me that that's always kind of been a thing there. They've always had a store dog, which I can attest to because years and years back when I would go there, there was always a dog around, but I never thought of it as like a thing. Well, I guess they kind of treat it like a thing and they've got a new port, uh, new store pupper who they are trying to train and, and get comfortable with everyone and just do its dog being really super cute and drawing in business because it's super fluffy and you want to pet it. And so far, so good. I had a good time petting that puppy dog and talking with the new store manager. So you guys go in, give them a shot, check them out. Like go take advantage of the discount. If you do happen to be a first responder of some kind and yeah, just support your local business, no matter who it is, pack rat, uncle Sam's, the woodsman and Ozark mountain trading company, those and any of the others, just get out there and support your local businesses. So anyway, moving on from that guys, by the way, by the way, I had, I, this is in my notes. It's in my out, it's in my outline. Got it in my overview. Got to point it out. I am now populating TikTok with videos. I am now TikToking with all of you youngsters. Okay. I am TikToking and it's probably pretty laughable, but if nothing else that could provide some entertainment value to you. So at wayward stories, Go over to TikTok. If you have a TikTok, and let's be honest, who doesn't? My cat's 14 years old. He's older than I am in cat years, and he has a TikTok. So let's just be real here. You do have a TikTok. Go over there and support us. Go over and check out some of our videos. Share them. Like, I'm having I'm having fun making them. Whether you enjoy them or not, I sure as heck enjoy them. And you know what? That's what I'm finding out. As I am becoming an old person, I care a whole lot less about how much you care about what I do and I care a whole lot more about how much I care about what I do. And anyway, so I'm enjoying it. But if nothing else, perhaps you will get some entertainment value out of it. Go over there and follow me, please, and like things. Because all of those little things on every little social media platform, all of the things actually help us. They actually help us to become more visible, to gain new listeners. And we are growing and doing it grassroots with no budget, you know, to put onto billboards and things. Oh man, I've got an idea for a great billboard. What I don't have is, you know, $10,000. So anyway, we have to do it grassroots. This is just called hustling y'all. And I'm hustling as hard as I can on top of going to work and going to school. So y'all just like talk us up out there, share all this stuff with people, go like, subscribe, do all those things. It's super useful. Like I charge you nothing. To listen to me ramble on, which it would probably actually be a crime if I charged you anything for listening to me talk. But regardless of that, if you enjoy me on any level for any reason, you know, just just help us out. Just say a word. Just click a like button. You know, some of that little stuff. Anyway, tonight's show, getting on to tonight's show, we'll move out of housekeeping. I know housekeeping is boring for everyone but me because I feel the need to kind of fill you guys in on things, let you have a little insight into my world. Cause I don't know, that's just a pretty typical standard TikTok thing. And it makes the host more relatable or not TikTok. My brain's in 400 different places. Podcast thing. It's pretty standard podcast thing. Um, and I've always found it makes the hosts more, more pro- like not approachable. It makes them more relatable. It makes them more real. It makes them more human. And you kind of get to feel like, you know, and there's one podcast I've been listening to for five years and in some weird way, they've become some kind of like 
cyber family to me. I've, I've, you know, I've interacted with them a little bit and they're very interactive, whatever, but it's not like I know them. It's not like we're friendly. Like I'm just a face in a sea of millions who follow them, but you listen to them over and over and over and they kind of become friends in a weird way. You get to feel like you reach the point where you feel like you know them. And like, I want this podcast to be relatable. I want to be relatable because the whole value of this podcast in my mind, the whole reason I want to make it is to connect with you guys on whatever level, hopefully in real life as well. You know, like you guys send messages, send emails, write comments on things. I will interact with you in as much as I can. I will interact with you because that's like the biggest value to all of this to me. But anyway, getting out of the theory of why we make wayward stories and why I care, let's get on to what tonight's show is actually about. And we're going to be talking about the Buffalo River. And I know we've talked about it before, so y'all hang tight. I hope none of you guys checked out before you even clicked play on this episode because you've heard me talk about various aspects of the Buffalo River, various trips I've taken over the years, multiple times. But tonight we're going to take a little bit different approach, okay? I'm not going to tell you about any of the trips I've told you about before. I may reference them a little bit because there is some pertinent information to the theme, the overarching theme, the story arc that I want to carry through tonight's episode that exists within them. So I may reference them for um, further corroborative evidence, so to speak, of what I'm going to um, try to present to you tonight. But I'm going to tell you a whole fresh new story that I've been saving up for you guys for quite some time for this specific episode. So why is this episode special? Why is it any different than any of the other ones? Well, because this year, 2022, marks the 50th anniversary of the Buffalo National River being designated as a scenic river and thus administered and protected and made available to all of us for 135 miles of its length, continuous miles of undamped natural beauty, all here for us, 50 years that it's been protected. You must understand, all you youngsters that are younger than 50, which includes myself, things were a lot more contentious back then. Okay. This, this is such an important point. Let's hang tight right here. You guys, let's, let's, let's take this exit real quick. We need to explore this because you need to understand this. Imagine, if you will, Big Bluff in your mind. If you've seen it, if you've been here, if you're one of my foreign listeners, guys, just go Google that and look at the images. Find images of Big Bluff. Find images of Hemden Hollow. Find images of Roark Bluff. Find any of those things. Okay. Now, any of you have experienced it, build that picture in your mind right now with me. You're floating on the river. It's a nice, warm day. The cool water is dripping into your lap from your paddles as you paddle along. You look up and you stare at Big Bluff towering in the distance as you make your way through the lush greenery. All of that 55 years ago? was threatened with being inundated with water to the point that who knows what would even be visible of the valley as it stands. Hamden Hollow would probably be no more. I mean, it would be there, but it wouldn't be accessible unless you were really into scuba. And then it would just be a big ledge underwater with a big drop off. Okay. All of that was in danger, very real danger of two hydroelectric dams being built along the river for multiple purposes. The proponents were many, and it was quite a contentious battle. We almost did not have this river, okay? 
as it is today. And we almost lost that. Okay, so this is the value of the Buffalo River becoming the Buffalo National Scenic River. It is a significant event. It paved the way. It was a trailblazer. The Buffalo River being titled as or designated as a National Scenic River was the first of its kind in the National Park Service. It set the precedent for other rivers to be designated as such and protected as such. We almost did not have Big Bluff, y'all. We almost didn't have Hemden in Hollow anymore. We almost didn't have any of these things that we've come to know and love because people wanted to develop it and wanted to develop the state. That is why it's significant 50 years. Okay, so that's why we're making an episode tonight because I would be remiss if I was a podcaster in Arkansas focusing primarily on outdoor adventures and did not celebrate or make an episode commemorating the 50-year anniversary of the Buffalo National River. And it still faces threats today. You guys, if you're the if you're the community activist type, if you are the eco-conscious type, look into the buff, look into the the things that still face the Buffalo National River. Look at the algae blooms that we're struggling with right now and that's killing off a lot of life in the river because of commercial hog farms that are outside of the park's boundaries, but their leech ponds or their their crap ponds are leaching into the groundwater, making it into the river and making algae blooms flourish, which is taking up all the oxygen, killing the fishies, killing the, the aquatic life. It still faces threats. So if, if you're the type to like do some community activism, get out there and clean things up, try to make a difference, look into that. It still faces threats and it would be an absolute travesty. It would be appalling just as well, like it was named after Buffalo, right? Buffalo used to roam most of the United States, and they roamed the Buffalo River Valley until around about 1820 or so. And then they became extinct in the area because we extincted them because it's what we're good at as humans. Okay, it would be a travesty if the river itself started to go the way of the buffalo that are its namesake, if you follow what I'm saying. So anyway, this is a, this is why we're making another episode about the Buffalo Rivers to commemorate 50 years. Things that you need to know before we get into the storytelling portion of tonight's episode is that the National Park Service is doing several neat things this year. There are going to be celebrations throughout the year in the park, things for you to go and do and experience to, to bring attention to this very unique um, designation, this very unique river within the National Park System. So there's going to be a lot of cool stuff going on all year for all of us to enjoy. And also, they're doing a 50-miler challenge. Okay, the 50-miler challenge is log your miles, and if you... If you accumulate 50 miles, total miles of trail miles or river miles in the Buffalo National River designated park area, which is 135 miles in length, again, it's quite linear, actually, um, you will get a patch and a certificate. I assure you I've already earned mine. <laughs> I'm not going to send it in until I have all of it completed for the year because we're only halfway through the year. Like, I'm going to flex on that. Like, I'm going to be like, well, okay, well, we didn't put up a 200-mile patch. I'm like, okay, but still, I wanted to show you. Anyway, I've got, man, they should do a Lifetime Achievement Awards. Too bad I haven't been logging all of them over the years. It'd be like, you'd be you'd be making tiers of like 1,000 miles, 1,500 miles. There'd be people out there that put me to shame. And I've got some stupid, stupid large numbers of miles on the Buffalo River. 
combined. So it can be hiking. It can be I'm probably even equestrian. There's some equestrian trails there, but anything that is non-powered, you can't be riding bike in there, you know, motorcycle in there, an e-bike or any of that kind of stuff. It's got to be propelled by you. So anyway, that's a good thing that you guys need to know because that's that's fun. That's a good reason to get up there and get back on the river because everybody wants a patch, right? I mean, I don't know what you're going to do with it. And patches went out of style in like 1994, but I'm still going to have that patch. I'll hang it on the wall right here behind me. I don't know. I'm going to do something with it. And I'm sure that you guys would as well. And also to come back around, um, just to further make the point of how important it is that this, this freaking national treasure has been protected for the last 50 years and the significance of it. When I was talking about that, and I meant that picturing big bluff, picturing all those things and imagining them not available to us, imagining them lost to history. A good example of that, y'all, give you a real good idea of what it could have been like. Look at Lake Powell. It has been in the news an obscene amount in the last several months. It's down to like 24% of its capacity. And the big news right now is archaeological sites are emerging. And, you know, archaeologists are just scrambling to the area to try to record as much as they can. Because it's been 50 or 60 years since this has been inundated and completely underwater, right? And also some of the most incredible hiking trails apparently... I don't know, but I've been, been being told some of the most incredible, beautiful canyons and hiking trails that ever existed are now re-emerging from the lake waters and can be hiked again for like the first time in six decades or something. So bucket list A, y'all get out there before it starts raining, which it may never rain again, but it also might start raining this fall. Who knows? So it's kind of one of those little uh, things. It's like, there's a window here, but we don't know how open it is. But man, if you miss it, you may never get the chance to see that again in your lifetime. It's quite interesting. A little bit like Haley's Comet, I guess. But that's a great example of what we could have lost. That's what could have happened to the Buffalo River. It could have been underwater for the last 60 years, 50 years. Absolutely. Just imagine that. Just imagine that. It would be a tragedy. Anyway, my approach to tonight's episode is going to differ slightly from the, the approaches I've taken in the past. I told you about my overnight hike and camp down in uh, Hemden Hollow. I've told you about my overnight hike and camping up on Big Bluff and doing astrophotography from the bluff. I've, I've told you about Eden Falls. I've told you about floating the river itself and a couple of overnight trips. I've told you about a lot of things about the Buffalo River. But tonight, I want to focus on something. Okay, the Buffalo River has become very, very popular in the last several years, um, and especially the last two years since COVID kicked off, like guys, people have been coming out in droves and that's great. This is what you want. I mean, it is controversial in a sense because there's really two camps and both of them have good points. A lot of destruction happens when a lot of people come because you don't necessarily attract all the people who are necessarily eco-conscious, um, who follow leave no trace principles. It can get pretty ugly. And that's valid points. Those are valid points. But you also, also, on the flip side of that coin, on the obverse of that coin, you want people there because you need public support. You need public dollars being pumped into our national parks, into our state parks, into the, you know, we want people being exposed, you know? I mean, some of these people that aren't necessarily the greatest practitioners bring out children and children do not have to go the way that their parents go. I'm a fine example of that. A lot of times you see something and it just appalls you. 
And you're like, I am not going to be that when I grow up. So we want the exposure. We do want people being exposed and going out into our parks, into our wilderness. We want that. But it also brings with it lots of damage. And it's hard to mitigate that damage, especially if the people are not being necessarily super conscientious about what they're doing. So it's kind of a thing. Like there's a lot of contention, a lot of battles, a lot of, a lot of debates, a lot of, a lot of social media um, warfare goes on over such things. But these are things we want. Overall, I think these are things we want. We just want it to be done a little bit more conscientiously. But overall, hopefully this is a net positive. I'm trying to be, I don't know, optimistic here, whatever. But we want this to happen, but it also creates a scenario where we are very much sharing our space, you know, something that at one time was you would see a lot of like-minded people out there on the old Buffalo River, just enjoying the heck out of the views and the fish and all the things it has become in the upper portion at the very least, a lot more, um, chaotic at times. There are a lot more people there. I don't know if any of y'all saw on social media, there was a picture that was shared here some time ago. Um, from the Brazos river, I believe down in Texas. And it was literally like elbow to elbow for the full length of a really long, it appeared to be a very long stretch of river, straight and narrow shooting straight away. And it was just people on tubes with beers in hand. And it was elbow to elbow. And when I say elbow to elbow, I'm not exaggerating really at all. It was easier to pick out people than it was any kind of empty space on the water between the people. It was absolutely disgusting to be honest i'm like wow that looks like a super great time um that that's what's been happening covid brought people out they got sick of being stuck inside so the upper buffalo can get a little crowded now it was always pretty popular but now it's like super popular so i want to talk about my opinion one man's opinion of the best way to experience the buffalo river Okay, the Buffalo River in and of itself to me is one of those absolutely sacred places. Like we talk about, I've talked about how some of these places just have this feeling and I've struggled around the words over and over and over again to try to describe them. And I always come back to it feels ancient. It feels sentient. It almost feels like it has its own memory. And I kind of settled on a sacred space. We talked about it back around Christmas time. Those are some pretty good episodes you should go check out. The Buffalo River is one of those places when you're beneath Big Bluff floating in the river, the cool waters of the river. You're surrounded by the wildlife and you look up the towering Big Bluff at 505 feet, standing proudly. You cannot help but be filled with a sense of like, holy crap, this is beyond amazing. And for many people, it, it, it sparks off a feeling of spirituality. For a lot of people, it sparks off just feeling of just the wonder of what nature has done. Buffalo River is one of those places. And I mean, there might be something to it. I talk about that memory of its own. I talk about that, that feeling ancient. Buffalo River is ancient, y'all. There's a reason, there's a reason that no dinosaur bones have ever been discovered in the Buffalo National River or around it is because the rocks there were laid down. The sediments were laid down before dinosaurs roamed the planet. It is absolutely ancient. The only fossils that you will find in the Buffalo National River are of some of the first 
ferns, river ferns, tree ferns, trees, some of the earliest, earliest like anthropods and, and different kinds of simple life. Okay. It's older than the dinosaurs, y'all. And human occupation goes back an estimated 9,500. No, no, no. That'd be 11,500 because it was 9,500 BC is the earliest that we believe there was Native American indigenous populations around the river. It is ancient. It is sacred. And I assure you, it would have been a travesty had we lost that. But anyway, around it, it is one of those special places. So to me, it is a ton of fun to get out there and, and float the upper. The upper is, again, one of the best sections because it does have some, on a good day, has some decent class two rapids here and there. It's got incredible smallmouth fishing. It's got the view of Big Bluff and Roar Bluff. It's got Gray Rock. It's got all of those things. You can hike up to Hemden Hollow like it is. There's a reason it's probably the most popular section of the river. But that also draws lots and lots and lots of people. And you don't really get to spend a whole lot of time with it. And the people that are coming, we've got this thing going where music is apparently necessary to float on the river. Loud music. Like, that everyone can hear. Because we don't, much like living in an apartment or a duplex, you know, we don't have an understanding of that, you know, we should probably be conscientious of our neighbors and that they probably don't want to smell what we smoke or listen to what we listen to. I don't know why that's a human trait these days, but um, it just is. So anyway, finding the right time to float the buffalo, in my opinion, is getting a lot tougher. But there are certain steps you can take to kind of mitigate that and have the kind of experience that I know a lot of my listeners, a lot of you listening to this right now would want to have. And a lot of you would enjoy the party out there on the river. And that's fine. Y'all do you. You do you. Be, again, be considerate of others. And realize nobody wants to hear your music but you. First and foremost, realize literally no one outside of your own little canoe, raft, or kayak, nobody outside of that wants to hear it. Or your little group. Nobody wants to hear it. None of us do. I'm cool with you listening to it, but like bring it down to a level. I mean, if you're just enjoying it, it don't need to be that loud. All you need to be able to do is hear it yourself, right? But again, that's logical and dare I even say, and be considerate of the ecosystem more so than that. If you're going to go out there and assault my ears, that's fine, but don't assault the river with your trash, please. God, just like pack it out. That's what the river bags the trash litter bags are supplied with every rental are for. <sighs> anyway, moving on, I have my own way that I love to enjoy the river now. And that's what I think we would like to impress upon you tonight. It's what I think I would like to impress upon you tonight is what I think is one of the absolute best ways to enjoy such a sacred, beautiful, incredible place. And that is simply just communing with it. That is being there in the silence on your own or with someone close to you, a good friend, a good significant other, and just taking in the absolute beauty in the manner in which it exists naturally, unimpeded by other humans running around it. And there are ways, ways to do that. We're going to talk about that, about a specific trip that I took some three to four years ago now. And I want to give you a picture of some of the most special times you can have on the Buffalo, I think. 
And that's that's going to be the gist of tonight's story, the story that we're going to tell tonight. And we're going to do that now. We've run on pretty close to our half hour, if not a bit over. Um, so we're going to do that after the break. So if you guys will hang around, we will get into the thrust of tonight's story here in a couple of minutes. What is up, all of you wayward souls? I want to tell you guys about our newest sponsor, Bendetti Optics a brand based right here in the good old U.S. of A, Portland, Oregon, to be exact. And I bought my first pair of Bendetti sunglasses about a year and a half ago and fell in love with them so much so that I got online and ordered a couple of more pair. And when I did, there was a small shipping snafu, an order fulfillment snafu, and I got on the phone, gave them a call, and guess what? I get a call back from who? One of the big men themselves right there in Portland, from the top of the chain have a great conversation and we end up starting this great relationship we have they more than made right the little snafu that occurred and i am now a huge proponent of them because i can tell you from personal experience they are good people and they are trying to compete with the big boys out there coming in at a price point of about 40 dollars, but using the exact same frame material tr90 and the same polarization process as the big guys as it turns out something i think we are already probably knew in our hearts when you buy big name sunglasses you're buying a big name not necessarily any more quality than you can get somewhere else like at bendetti optics they have 29 different styles they have multiple polarization options for whatever climate you happen to live in and they back it up with like this lifetime guarantee that if your dog eats your sunglasses it doesn't matter how you break them send it back in with a check to cover shipping and handling and you're golden you got a new pair on the way these guys are truly trying to do it right and they have this philosophy that a really good pair of sunglasses should not cost you so much that you are afraid to wear them and i think all of us outdoorsmen can relate to that so if you guys like me are very practical and like to get more bang for your buck and wear some great looking sunglasses check out bendettioptics.com that's b-e-n-d-e-t-t-i optics.com or you can go over to instagram slash optics and that i highly suggest whether you buy a pair or not just to check out the cutest pupper you will ever see modeling sunglasses once again, that's BendettiOptics.com. And make sure and let them know Wayward Stories sent you. And welcome back. Thank you guys for sticking around throughout the break. All right, so let's get on with tonight's story. Enough just talking about the overview, talking about the different specifics, the general things about the Buffalo River, and some of the, honestly, very contentious stuff. Like, I try to keep it lighthearted, and obviously I have my opinions. You just heard a couple of them. But, like, I try to keep it lighthearted, but there's some very contentious stuff about, you know, shared use of spaces. And that's kind of at the heart of tonight's story is it's fun to party with people. It's fun to go down the river with your friends. It's it's fun. But it also is kind of like sitting through a movie, but scrolling your Facebook while you watch it. You don't remember half of it. OK, you don't remember half the movie. Your your attention is divided. That's why. I think the best way, one man's opinion, again, to experience, to really experience the natural wonder, the absolute beauty, and, and, and the natural, like the natural ecosystem that it exists within, all the things that make the Buffalo River so, so, so special, the best way to experience them, in my opinion, is to do so either alone or with a very, very small group of friends. And I know I wince as I say that alone, because again, we've talked about in episodes many times over as a search and rescue guy, 
I mean, that's against what I'm supposed to say. We're not supposed to encourage people to do things alone. However, I also know that there are not many other ways for some of us forever. I had no choice, y'all. I didn't have anyone that wanted to go hike with me. I didn't have no one that wanted to go river, you know, float the river with me or paddle or fish. You know, that all goes back to the stories we've talked about in the first 20 episodes of this, this um, podcast. And there are people that just don't have anyone that will do the things they love to do. So I'm still a proponent of get out and go do it. Be responsible. Consider the people that have to come save you if you mess it up. Be responsible. Educate yourself. Train yourself. Do it properly. Do it right. Take the proper stuff out there. You know, but as a search and rescue guy, we're not supposed to. We're just not supposed to, you know, really encourage that because it's dangerous. It is dangerous. And a place like the Buffalo River is truly a wilderness, y'all, that still exists in the modern day especially since it's been protected. It is absolutely a wilderness and it's filled with wild hogs. You know, they're a non-native species. They're invasive, but they just are what they are, unfortunately. And they will mess you up. Okay. They're, the river can mess you up at any time, even when it's low and looks placid. It's not necessarily not beneath the surface. There are all kinds of things, you know, freak storms pop up, lightning happens. There's a lot of stuff and being alone, absolutely increases your odds of, you know, sustaining damage or worse. So like, I'm not supposed to say that, but I also know that you're going to, and I know that I have and still do. I'm not going to stay home if I don't have someone to go with me. I'm just asking you guys do it responsibly. Okay. And for tonight's episode, it's kind of a key component of one of the best ways to experience the Buffalo just to me. Okay. So I mean, or that, or with just a couple of people, people who, you know, some of your soul tribe, some of your people that get it like you get it. Most often when you go in big groups, you're, you're not like most of the other people and most of the other people are not like each other. Everyone's different. Um, people like ourselves who love to get out for the sake of being there and experience it are rarer. We are much more rare. I, I assure you, I've learned this lesson for 30 freaking years over 20, really adult life. Most people, I'm not like most people and most people are not like me. And the things I'm interested in do not interest most other people. And a lot of you listening to me are just like me, you know, birds of a feather. You guys have found me and here we are. Like we're those people. We are our soul tribe, so to speak, but much rarer to find out in the real world, out in the wild as you, as it were. But if you can go with people who are like-minded like you, who see it like you do, who will appreciate it like you do, who know the right times to just revel in the silence and not break it with some meaningless conversation that doesn't even need to come out of anyone's mouth. Go with them, but experience it in a way that gets you and the Buffalo engaged one-to-one. That, in my opinion, is one of the very best ways to truly experience this sacred place, because it is this ancient sacred place. So tonight, I'm going to talk about a trip that I took a few years ago And I'm going to kind of go through it and just elucidate the ideas. I'm going to build a narrative here, tell you a story. I don't have to build the narrative. It's already been built. I did it. So I'm going to tell you this story. I'm going to speak out this narrative into your consciousness and just step back tonight, man. I hope you're sitting in your easy chair at home, just enjoying the episode and listening to me expound and, and just babble on and on and on. Just, I'm a rambler about this beautiful place and let yourself picture it. 
If you can, let yourself picture it. If you were driving, do not close your eyes and imagine it. That would be counterproductive to your long-term health. Um, but this trip that I took, and I've talked about many that I've taken, and I told you I kind of saved this one up because this is kind of its own special trip. And in the right out of the gate, the caveat to this and the asterisk to this is this one was a little more extreme in a sense than most people would like to take as far as like what would go into taking a trip that lasts three nights and three days. Um, because it is a lot, there are a lot less creature, creature comforts that you're going to pack along with you. It's going to be tougher for some people and not as enjoyable. So don't, don't think of it as like, don't just immediately tune out like, Oh crap. Well, that was a big old trip. And if I can't do it like that, I don't want to do it like that. Cause that's not even going to be fun. You don't have to do it like that. Just enjoy the story and imagine the idea that I am trying to illustrate to you about how to get in touch with the Buffalo River to really connect to it. Because um, you can do it your own way in any numerous, you know, any one of numerous options or variations, okay? So don't just tune out. A lot of people do that. I've come to learn, you get a lot of statistics, guys, when you have a podcast that come at you and you can glean a lot of information and you can see when people check out episodes, you can see when they quit listening, you can see when you said a thing that they didn't like and everyone turned it off for that episode. Okay, so don't turn it off. Just listen to the story and imagine the possibilities of it. And just, again, let me elucidate the idea that I'm trying to bring to you, um, because I think you can make it your own. And that's the important thing. You can find the way to make it your own. So this trip that I took was three and a half years ago. Probably it was directly after maybe four years ago now. Directly after my divorce at the time when I didn't have a whole lot going on. When I did have time off there was, and I didn't have my daughter if that was too coincided. I wasn't staying at home. Told y'all that. This is when I really reconnected with who I am and got back out there and started searching for all the things. Myself, the world, everything I wanted to find. It's when I really started experiencing the world and life again. And it was during that time, and I had no idea how I ended up with that many days that I could float. Um, because I was working six days a week. There was something, some kind of holiday, something happened. I cannot remember for the life of me what it was that put that time span together, but I had it. Okay. So I drove up, I put in, I got a few hours in and, and floated down and I floated through the beautiful, amazing, incredible stuff. And I floated with the people for a long ways, but see, this is the beauty of staying the night on the river. This is the beauty of yak packing. This is the beauty of hammock camping or through hiking. If you're just doing one of the big hikes and putting together a string of the trails, it starts getting closer to dark. You get about four fingers to, to the horizon, which if you don't know what that means, it's kind of an old, uh, old wayfarers trick and old native trick. A lot of, a lot of cultures knew this. If you extend your arm fully towards the sun and you put your four fingers out beneath it. Each finger is 15 minutes to the horizon. So if you have all four fingers to the horizon, you have really, I mean, I mean, almost exactly one hour. Like it's weird how your body proportions work all that out, but it is a fact for everyone. Full arm length extension, the width of each finger is 15 minutes. And about the time you get to four fingers to the horizon, an hour before the sun actually sets off the horizon, then you still get another 30, 40 minutes of civil twilight, right? 
everyone starts to disappear. They start falling out at, at the takeouts that are predetermined for them. They're starting to get out where their outfitters are picking them up. And slowly but surely, the people disappear from alongside you. And suddenly, you find yourself alone and you realize how quiet it is. Imagine, if you will, those stretches of the buffalo that you always float when nobody else is on them. Imagine it with only you gliding silently, noiselessly through the current downstream beneath the trees, along the bluffs, next to the rock outcroppings, looking at the little snakies hanging out on their logs and the turtles plopping off of the logs as you glide by. Probably gonna see deer standing there drinking water. Imagine this in just just utter silence. And you get on to, and like in my first night, I got, I, I gave myself not as much time because I got kind of a late start, you know, but I gave myself to two fingers to the horizon, about half an hour. And I found a place that looked good. You know, when I was at three fingers, 45 minutes, I started looking, you know, now I need to start finding a good place to put up for the night. And it's, it's hard to find a good safe place, you know, up off of the river level. You know, we learned that lesson. Hopefully we've all learned that lesson. The hard way. It's been just, I just saw recently, it's only a few days ago was the 12 year anniversary of the Albert Pike campground. Um, the big flood, the tragedy, a lot of people lost their life. A lot of children lost their life in that water came up 24 plus feet in like three hours in literally the middle of the night, like one to 3 AM or something like that. It was, is a brutal situation. I was not in search and rescue at that time, but everyone remembers that story in this state because it was big, big, big news. It was, it was a tragedy. And since being in search and rescue, I've come to know lots of people who were on that recovery and the rescue. There were still people that were rescued, but the majority of it was a recovery and it, it will scar you. And those people are scarred and they talk about it very sparingly and in hushed tones. Um, but I have talked about it with some people I've come to know some that were on it. So understand guys, you cannot mitigate waking up underwater. Okay, don't sleep on the riverbank. And I've done it. I talked about in um, the yak packing episode when I camped literally at the confluence of the upper buffalo or the buffalo and the little buffalo. Y'all, that's even more dangerous than anywhere. I had two rivers that could rise on me. I did that before I understood, before I knew better. Okay, so it's okay to be wrong and do things that you shouldn't do sometimes. But once you learn better, you know, change your habits. So anyway, just there's had to put that in. Okay. Like that's the search and rescue guy in me, my PSA don't camp on the river bank. That actually happened on the Buffalo river recently. Y'all and no one died. Thank goodness. But everyone, there was a lot of canoes lost. A lot of personal equipment lost. The river came up in the night with people that were camping and had their stuff on the river's edge. Y'all just a couple of feet rise. Everything's going down river, whether you're with it or not. So just be wise, be wise. Consider your own family, your own friends, and also consider the people that have to come try to save you if something goes wrong. Just be wise and find a good spot above, you know, off of the river edge into the trees a little bit with some distance between you and the river. Find you a good spot, a good overlook. Think about it. It's even better. You can camp on the river and look at it right next to you, or you can camp just above it, looking directly down on it with a little bit of a bird's eye view. You know, I'm talking like 30 feet away, y'all, you know, 10 feet higher than the river level or something. I'm not talking about up a mountain. Looking down over the river as the sun finally sets, building your camp as the sun sets, 
it's a beautiful experience, especially if you're there in the quiet and alone or just with a couple of people, again, that are kind of like you and like-minded like you that, that know how to listen and experience and see and keep their words. I don't want to say to a minimum, like I'm not saying go out there and do a silent flow, like you're going to talk, but there are moments that happen that you just realize this is a special moment. Look at that sunset. Look at those clouds. Listen to all of the animals that are starting to erupt in a chorus. And it's those moments where you need to know to keep your mouth shut and just let the moment happen. There's plenty of time to talk after. You know what I mean? So anyway, I found me a good spot. Found myself a good spot. This Comp 2 thing is going to turn me into my own grammar Nazi. I've got to be careful because... I talk how I talk, okay? I spec how I spec. I like my lingity, okay? It's just part of who I am. And to be really honest with you, it's actually quite proper for how slang it is because that's just how I was trained in writing. Um, But, yeah, now I'm going to keep correcting myself. That'll get annoying. I'm going to apologize beforehand and also try to catch it before I do it, okay? We're just going to try to fix that. But anyway, I found myself a really good camping spot and put up for the night and, you know, hung up my hammock and just listened, listened to the symphony of the forest animals as they sang me to sleep. And on that first night, I went to sleep fast, y'all. There was not a lot of sitting around um, and giving deep thought or anything like that. I got in that hammock because I was exhausted. I'd worked a whole dang day, even though it was an early day, drove two and a half hours, got myself on the river and then paddled. I was, I was exhausted, but that's also one of the beautiful things about sleeping down in the valley like that. Cool summer breeze will rock you to sleep in a hammock. Okay. If you're doing it the hammock way, you can be rocked to sleep by the hand of mother nature herself, looking up at the stars and listening to the river ripple below you. It's also a good idea to look for it. Maybe a little set of rapids close to where you're going to make camp because that's a nice sound to go to sleep to. And just drift off to sleep. I mean, you will go out like a freaking rock in no time. Now, this is where it's going to start. And I'm really going to start trying to elucidate the idea here. Really start to paint the picture for you of, of what it gets like when you're on the river for a day or two. And, and the important part of this, when I, when I said, I think my opinion, again, my opinion of the best way to enjoy something like the Buffalo River truly, truly appreciate it is to get out there by yourself or get away from the crowds. Okay. That's the biggest component here. It's not necessarily the time component, though there is a bit of that. And I'm going to talk about it in just a minute. It's not necessarily the time component. It's the, like the space component, the distance from others. And the later you are out somewhere, the earlier you were there to start, the further you go away from the most popular places, the less people you will continue to encounter. And that's where you can really get those quiet moments. So it's really about the getting away from people, not the amount of time that you're out overnight or whatever. It's really about the getting away. You could start much lower down river below the, the most popular places and just do one overnight and have a somewhat similar experience. So 
there are options for this, okay? It's about the distancing yourself from the larger crowds and the larger groups and really getting down to just you and Mother Nature, you and the buffalo herself. And that is a beautiful experience. It's much like, dare I go so alliterative, alliterative, dare I be so romantic to try to put it in an aspect like this. But if you look at the buffalo like that, like a significant other, the most special time spent with them. Yes, you can enjoy each other quite thoroughly at a party. You can go to a party together with your significant other and you can have a great time. But the best times are the quiet times, the intimate times where it's just you and they and you are experiencing something in life together in an intimate setting, something you and only you two share alone in that moment. That's what the buffalo can be like. Okay, that's what anywhere in nature can be like. But the Buffalo is absolutely one of those places and our very own right here in Arkansas. It's our very own. It can be that place. And the best moments are the quiet moments where you are just experiencing the Buffalo. Doing what it does in its natural environment, regardless of you, does not care that you're there and just does what it does. And you sit back and you close your mouth. And you open your eyes and you open your ears and you experience it. You feel the air, feel the water on your feet, feel the warm breeze, experience the fireflies. There are so many fireflies, y'all. There are so many lightning bugs. These are the times where you get to see what's so special about the buffalo. Because the bluffs are always there and always beautiful. They're always there and always beautiful and they're big and they're, and they're impressive and they stand out and you can see them. They tower above the floating rave party. Okay. You can see it that way. But if you were there in a way where you get to see it when the rave party is gone and it's completely quiet and it is its natural setting and the frogs and the crickets have all come back to life and the locusts have come out and all of the noises start to erupt around you. And this is what it was like in 9,500 BC, 11,500 years ago when the first indigenous peoples were there, or 300 years ago when the first settlers started to come into the valley, or back when Schoolcraft himself went through the valley and wrote all of the things he wrote about it, that's special. That is different. That is completely different than seeing it surrounded by crowds and mobs of people, and lots of music, so much music, music from every boat, right? I mean, what are you listening to? You have no idea. Your ears are taking all of it. I've got rave over here. I've got France over here. i got country multiple places around me. None of them are on the same song. It's, it's chaos. It can be chaos, and that just absolutely detracts from being able to focus on the river itself, which is what brought us there to begin with. So moving into my second day, this is very special. This is why I always recommend someone, you always try to find a way to at least stay the night on the Buffalo and not necessarily at one of the big campgrounds. I mean, Still Creek's great, whatever, but like, like a, a, a dispersed camping situation, forest floor camping, float down or hike down however far you want, find you a really good place next to the river and set up camp because you can do that in the Buffalo National River, which is a rarity. In the United States, it is free to you to use. Be responsible, build your fires responsibly, put them out, cover them up, 
you know, try to erase every trace of them responsibly or find a camp that has been used multiple times and is established to thus mitigate using, destroying multiple sites. You know, if you can focus everything into one place, it's better than it being all up and down over and over again. You know, there's multiple ways to look at that as well, but be responsible in what you do, but find you some dispersed camping away from the campgrounds, away from the people where it's just you and nature. And when you do that, when you wake up in the morning, because you will wake up with sunrise, most likely. And when you do, on the Buffalo River, and many of our rivers here in creeks and the beautiful Ozarks, but you do that on the Buffalo River, you wake up to things like I woke up to in my first morning, which was this amazing fog rising from the river, filling up the valley underneath a ceiling of clouds, because basically you're just in a fog bank, because that's what happens up there in the mountains, over the river, with all the humidity as it evaporates and condenses from the river and rises into the sky, and all the lush greenery. You're surrounded by green trees, y'all. Evergreens and hardwoods. You're surrounded by all kinds of ferns and lush, lush vegetation. There's a lot of humidity in a valley, and it turns into fog in the morning. And you wake up, and you're staring at this heavy blanket of fog that you most likely would not see otherwise, because typically you roll out of bed at, you know, 8 a.m. on Saturday, you drive two hours to three hours, you get to the buffalo at noon, it's all burned off. It's just baking hot out there now. You wake up on the river, the river will reward you for doing so with views and ways of seeing it that you've never seen before. And when you have a dense fog like that, when you have a very dense fog like that, it deadens sound, right? It deadens sound. So it's got almost an eerie silence, which in its own right is super, super cool. But it's not dark outside, so you don't get scared, right? Like, you're just like, wow. The sound is so dead here, I hear nothing. And all you hear is the trickle of water over the rocks or the rapids, whatever you camp next to. And you just kind of sit there. And make your gross instant coffee and you take your first caffeine hit of the day as you look down river and watch the fog roll and see how it kind of has a life of its own. You watch it. If you watch it long enough and you are undistracted because you don't have cell phone service there. Thank God. That's why we went right to not have that cell phone service. There's nothing to distract you. You were just staring down the river waiting for when I feel awake enough to get back in that water and head on down the river. And if you watch the fog long enough, you can see it moving in its own ways. You can see as it, you know, usually it's kind of amorphous because it's so much of it and it just looks like a wall, but you're passing by it so quickly in your car or you're not paying attention, but now you're focused on it. And as you're focused on it, you're watching this fog as it rolls through the valley and it raises and it lowers and you see all of these almost kind of formations that happen within it. You can see air currents carry through it. And then a deer walks out into the river right freaking in front of me, right freaking in front of me, like within 20 feet of me, which was kind of shocking because down there, they are not used to, you know, necessarily humans, human interaction as much. But I also am a pretty chill person and I'm a firm believer that humans and animals, critters alike can kind of sense things. I think we all have a sixth sense of like something is a threat to me or something is not. And I absolutely was not a threat to this guy. And also I think that I was sitting so still. I was like not making a lot of noise. I don't think I fooled it. They can smell you. He knew I was around somewhere, but he just wasn't interested. And he just steps out into the river, you know, 
What do deer say? Do deer have ankles? I don't think deer have ankles, but he steps out in the river ankle deep, you know, gets up to maybe mid shin deep on that deer shin that doesn't exist that they have that, you know, I'm just making up medical terms or biological terms rather here. Um, it starts drinking water and y'all it's, it's like, it's like Walden, man. It's like Thoreau. It's like, what? This, this isn't really happening, but it does. And it did. And why did it do it? Because I was there at the right time in the right place on the Buffalo river. And that's why I'm telling you the best way to experience the Buffalo river is to go out there and be with it in the intimate moments, in the quiet moments and truly experience what made it great. What has drawn people, humans to it for 11 and a half thousand years. Go and see it in that aspect. I spent that day, finally got my camp, you know, pulled up. I spent the day just lazily, lazily floating my way down the river and catching tons and tons of smallmouth. I am a catch and release angler. Like I'm I've been a hippie for a long time, y'all. Like, and I use that term jokingly because anyone knows me knows I hunted many years ago. You know, I I played freaking high school football. I did all those things that men are supposed to do that make you manly. You know, like I'm supposed to like, oh, kill animals, brah. You know, og need meat, and I do eat meat. But when it comes to just like animals out there doing the thing, I don't need that fish because I got beef jerky. You know, that cow already died for me. Like, I don't need to take this fish. I just don't, and I'm not holding it against anyone that, I mean, it is cool y'all to catch a nice fish and then have it for dinner. Like the sports men out there and women that do that, I'm not knocking you for doing it. I just have no need to do it. You know what I mean? Catch and release, let it go back to be caught again another day by someone else and be enjoyed another day by someone else and just work my way down the river, looking at all the beautiful sights because the bluffs, yeah, after big bluff, they become less impressive, but they're still there. The further you go, they get a little bit shorter. The river gets a little bit wider, gets a little bit slower moving, but the beauty remains. The mountains still roll. The hills are still lush. The wildlife maybe even gets a bit more diverse. You get out of higher terrain, you get it out, out of more extreme, steeper terrain into the stuff that gets a little bit more reasonable. Like this stands out or this stands up ecologically. You know, you might even get a little more diversity in the kind of wildlife that you're seeing. It changes um, a bit, but not enough to be really meaningful. It's just still beautiful. So you just continue down for the whole day, just floating, fishing, enjoying. Float a rapid, run a rapid. If you get a little rabbit, a little shoot, they're fun, man. Get your blood flowing a little bit. But when you finish it, you spin out, you throw your lure up into that hole that is created at the bottom and you catch all those little smallmouth who are just waiting on the easy food to be brought down in the fast moving current. It's, it's just a system. Run the rapid, fish the rapid, rinse and repeat. It works every time and it is glorious it is so much fun but that day was pretty much uneventful except for just spending a whole day to yourself now this is a point that i want to make my episode's getting a little long but this is a celebration of the buffalo national river and i'm finally hitting a flow for this episode it was a little bit of a choppy start okay i admit that openly but we're starting to hit a little bit of a flow so we're going to stay in that flow we're just going to let it run as long as it runs um so i went on throughout the rest of that day Mostly uneventful, but this is where you hit a spot. Now, for folks that are real backwoodsmen, which I am 
admittedly not one of them, a quote unquote true real backwoodsman. I've done enough time out there to try to, you know, rack up some street cred. I've done multi days. I've done a lot of things, but there are people out there that put me to shame, you know, as well as things, truths in life. Doesn't matter who you are or what you do. There's always some out there, someone out there that's cooler than you are, better than you are. Like it's good to remember that because it keeps you humble. But if you were, you know, the true backwoodsman and a lot of people that do extended trips to the wilderness, guys that go up into Alaska, the, a lot of you Canadians, you Canadian listeners, I love you guys so much. A lot of you guys up there, man, you guys literally travel in the, you, you walk in the shadow and the, in the path that was laid before you by the voyagers. Like you truly, you guys going out there for two week freaking paddle trips and canoes. Like you have my respect. You have my respect to no end the things you do. Um, absolutely amazing. Camper Christina, y'all, if you've never heard of Camper Christina, go to YouTube and check her out. She is so cool. Like she, and again, she's out there doing it on her own, which the search and rescue guy at me screams out, don't encourage it. But she is more than capable. She is well-trained. She is one of those people. Just mitigate and prepare yourself. And she is awesome. And she's up there doing it in the Canadian wilderness, man. Like it's wild. So there's always someone out there that is more, more of the backwoods badass than you are. But my point is not that. My point is this. Anyone who spends extended amounts of time out there, talk about river time, or they talk about lake time, or they talk about backcountry time. It takes on numerous different words, but they talk about when your body starts to reset to its natural biological clock. You know, we talk about the circadian rhythm. You've heard about the circadian rhythm, you know, when it comes to sleep. Well, that plays, that's effective, that's accurate, not effective, that's accurate about our bodies. Our bodies do have internal clocks and they are set on essentially like the way life has been until the invention of the light bulb 100 years ago, 150 years ago, whatever, whenever we got the first lights and say in mass where people could actually use them, they were around before they were, you know, hugely available to the public at large. But we functioned during the daylight hours. That's when we farmed, that's when we hunted, that's when we gathered, that's when we got our sustenance for, I mean, to time immemorial, to the very first people. That's when, because you can see, and it's much safer, okay? It's easier to kill something if you can see it, you know? You can eat it after you can't see and it gets dark, right? You can eat around a campfire, but you can't carry a campfire around with you and like illuminate a deer in the distance that you're chunking a spear at, you know? It's hard to cultivate a field by campfire light you know, from 250, 300 feet away. So you work during the day, you rested during the night. Our bodies biologically know this and remember this. It is a part of our genetics. And when you go out on the river and your phone's been turned off, the general idea is about three days. That's what's generally accepted. Now I've, in my experience, found it can be as easy as as little as one day when it starts to set back, maybe two nights. So that second night you might really start to notice it, but it's, it's, Y'all, this is what's kind of special about this. When when you can hit that point that you start that you basically convert back to river time, to backcountry time. Time changes. Time literally, like not literally, time very in a very real way changes. Your brain slows down. You purge a lot of the crap that you carry around in your brain all the stinking time. You purge it. It goes away. You don't do it on purpose. It just happens. Now, I try to consciously do that, but it just goes away. And you suddenly are just enjoying 
You are living in the moment, which most philosophies, most religions, most philosophies, most theologies, most like cultures worldwide have a very revered idea of the present moment. Okay, that's what really matters is living in the present because, you know, the future is just a figment of our imagination. No matter how likely it might be, it's just a might. We just didn't imagine it. Tomorrow's not promised. Everything in the past is just a memory. Literally, just another part of your imagination. It's something that's already happened. The only reality is right freaking now, this moment. When you hit backcountry time, when you hit river time, you were suddenly living in that present moment. You realize that all you're doing is you're not worried about what happens when you have to go back to work in two days. And you're not worried about what happened at work a week ago. It just doesn't matter anymore. What matters is look at that and wow, experience this. Just having that moment is what truly, truly matters when you finally reach river time. And that's one of the other beautiful things about spending time with the buffalo in a little bit of an extended stay, however you chose to approach it, whether you go out there and you do it on a kayak, whether you do it on your feet, whether you do it by horseback, however you choose to approach it, when you can hit river time, that's when you suddenly have clarity of thought. And y'all, you can have some real epiphanies about your life when you hit those moments where everything is silent in your head and you can actually hear your own thoughts. Now, hear that again, what I just said. It is so quiet out there when you go far enough and get far enough away from the groups and the people and you spend enough time away from your technology and out there on the river. And it can be as little, in my opinion, in my experience, as 24 hours before you hit that point. When you hit that point, you suddenly can hear yourself think. We do not get to hear ourselves think anymore. We are constantly bombarded by our own choosing, and a lot of it not, but most of it by our own choosing, by information, TV, TikTok, all of the things, all of the people, our kids, our everything. We're constantly, our bosses, coworkers, we're constantly bombarded with information, and we do not have time or enough silence to be able to hear ourselves think. And when you hit river time, when you get out on a place, in a place like the Buffalo National River, you can hear yourself think. And you would be amazed at how much clearer your perspectives on your own life and the world around you become when you have the silence and the peace of mind, the clarity to be able to really think about it. That in and of itself is the absolute value, one of the biggest absolute values, rather, of getting out there on river time. It is, it's an amazing experience. If you've never experienced it, you know, read up a little bit about it. Take what I've said, listen, you know, think about it for yourself, read up on it. People talk about it here and there, you know, you'll hear about it. You'll see some things about it and try to set up a situation where you might get to experience it because literally you can find yourself just doing that. If you can get enough days together, you can find yourself just doing that. A lot of people do. It's what a lot of van lifers are doing out there. You know, that's what a lot of hippies did back in, in, in the 60s and the 70s. There's real value in it. And you can still be a normal human that has a job and, you know, lives a real life. Just take, when you take a vacation, if you get one, try to work some river time in where you can hit river time and backcountry time. That is one of the most significant things. And I love it because everything slows down. Like, for example, I get into camp that night, found me another absolutely great camp on a little bit of like a dirt bluff 
overlooking the river. It's just absolutely gorgeous. I get my campfire together and like, I love to be methodical. I love to purposely slow myself down as well, but you also just feel it. Like you just slow down a notch because you don't have to go a million miles an hour anymore, right? You don't have to turn in that, write that email, turn in that paper, do this thing, wash those clothes, do those dishes. You don't have to do any of that because you're out there on the river and all you really have to do is make a fire so that you can be warm and maybe eat some warm food if you've got your dehydrated meals and a little bit of water, whatever, and put your hammock up or set up your tent and get ready. So like, I just love how slow, how much slower the pace becomes and then you can begin to become methodical about it. Then it's like, I enjoy putting up my hammock. And I'll even add the extra rain fly, you know, I'll add the rain fly, but leave it off, but I'll tie it up. I'll put the, put the stay line across the top, the guy line, I'll get it nice and tied. I'll set out the stakes. I'll, I'll, I'll stake out the, uh, the rain fly and then pull the rain fly back so I can still look at the stars, but I do it just in case, just in case it might rain. Not really necessary. If I know the weather report from before I left and everything's looking good, I don't really need to do that, but I enjoy doing it. And I take my time doing it. It's the methodology of it. It's just being able to slow down and do it and experience it. Build that fire from scratch. Build a nest. Do it kind of the hard way. Man, sure, you got a lighter. You've got a sparker. You've got fire gel. You've got fire starters. Whatever. Do it however you want. But I enjoy the process of building that fire up from scratch and taking the time to do it. It is soothing to the soul for me. And I know there are a lot of you that would probably feel the same way about it. Setting up camp just methodically, putting together dinner, overlooking the river, listening. Look at, guys, there's bald eagles up there. And more than just a few, you will see them, especially the further back you go, the further down you go, river, ri further down river you go, the further back in the woods you go, no matter how you go to experience this incredible place, you're going to see with more frequency bald eagles, and all of the different wildlife. Black bear, you're going to see these things out there in their setting, and you're there experiencing it. You're there seeing it for yourself, and there's something so special about that. So you're sitting there watching the sunset, listening to the fire crackle, all by yourself out there, completely alone with your thoughts, and it's a good thing, not a bad thing. This is a wonderful moment in existence when this gets to happen. And I sat there that night and I put my camp together and it was a wonderful night putting together camp and just being there on the river. And this was at a time in my life where I really needed it. I really needed those moments of clarity of mind where I could look at where my life had come from and what it had become and where I was now and how am I going to move forward? Those were moments I needed. Um, and that's, that's what the Buffalo River has to offer to you and to me and to everyone else out there. And the best way to get there and experience that is to get away from the crowds. It's okay to go up and see Ponca. I mean, go up, see Big Bluffs, go up Ponca and spend all your time there. It's great. Go up, see Eden Falls, hike, crime, crawl, crawl back in the cave, see the waterfall inside the cave, go and see Hemden Hollow, hike, to, you know, hike to, to Granny Henderson's homestead, go do all the things everyone else does. I've done them multiple times. I'm not saying don't do them, but I'm saying take the opportunity to get out there and find and meet the river on its terms, not ours. We meet the river on our terms around Ponca. We really do. On the upper, upper part of the Buffalo, we meet it on our terms. You know, easier hikes, easier accesses, access to food and water and drinks and all the great things that make life livable. 
but it also takes something away from it. And the further you can go down, the deeper you can go back, the more special and intimate the connection with the river itself becomes. And I think that's the value of it. And you know, it happens. It happened. A lot of people do this and I want to encourage you to like, I, y'all, I ran into a deal that night and this was kind of cool. There's the romantic side of me. And, you know, I'm really probably going to wrap up with this story. We pushed out past an hour and 15 minutes now, maybe an hour and 20. I'll probably start wrapping up with this story because the rest of the trip is this, but what I is more of this, but what I wanted was simply to be able to illustrate and try to bring to life to you what it can be like on that river when you meet the river on its terms, when you share the intimate moments at twilight with the river and not with a hundred other people in a campground having a party that has its own place, but so does this. And this, in my opinion, is the way to truly experience the river because this is how the river exists in its natural state. But I'm going to probably start wrapping it up with this story. And this was from that night, second night out there on the river. I had already hit river time. I was already moving in slow motion. And as you know, I wrapped up dinner. It got later in the night. The fire burned low and I got in the hammock and was just rocking and listening and truly really kind of just appreciating in that moment what I was seeing. The moon had risen over the valley. It was reflecting off of the river itself below me. I was looking at the moon. I was looking at the stars around it. I was listening to the frogs and the locusts and the crickets and the cicadas, whatever all was out there singing, you know, they erupt. That's one of those moments, y'all. Right as we really start to hit the end of civil twilight, somewhere right in that last probably 10 minutes to 15 minutes before you get complete dark, where you just have that nice, beautiful leftover red and purple glow in the sky, perhaps. Red, purples, pinks. Suddenly, you hear one frog. It's always that one frog. And he starts. And you're like, yeah, there he is. And within a minute or two, it's all of them. It is literally an eruption. It is literally very much like a symphony has kicked off all at once. It started with the timpani. The one little frog over there croaking away. And then everyone joined in in a matter of probably 60 to 120 seconds. And suddenly you're just being serenaded. That's a beautiful moment. Absolutely in its own right. And I've experienced that many times on the Buffalo, just like it did on that night up on Big Bluff when I was there to photograph the stars. That moment happens. And when everything kicks off, it it's it's its own experience. It's something you have to experience to be able to understand, to be completely honest with you. But so that is going on. That's already happened. It's gotten later. The moon is out and I'm really just focusing on this moon and watching some of the wispy clouds that are just darting about the sky. There must've been some pretty good wind up in the higher atmosphere because I could see some of those clouds were shooting around pretty fast and it was very soothing. It's very hypnotic in its own right. And the romantic side of me likes to see this story in one way. And that is, as I was laying there, looking at stars, looking at the moon, listening to all the noises swaying back and forth in my hammock, I suddenly heard something in the water coming from behind me from upriver. And it was just, you know, a little splish, a little splash, a little splish, a little splash. And at first I was like, is there like a deer walking down river? Um, Is it one of the elk? Has he come down this far? Is he walking down river? But then I hear the unmistakable thump of, of wood on wood along with some of the paddle strokes. 
some of the splashes. And that's how I discovered it. Like, wait, those are paddle strokes. Somebody is paddling down this river right now. What time is it? It's like 11 o'clock at night. It has to be, right? So I lean up silently and I look. And sure enough, gliding past me is a single human in a canoe on their own right in the middle of the river in the moonlight, their silhouette in the moonlight. I couldn't tell you the color of the canoe. I couldn't tell you the, the person who they, what they were wearing, if they were wearing anything, I have no idea, but they were just silently and very intently just looking down river and paddling down river after dark. There was no headlamp. There was no flashlight on the bow. There was nothing. And I sat here in awe and I watched this. Okay. And that was a really kind of magical moment in some weird way. There was something about seeing an individual in a canoe in the moonlight down paddling down the Buffalo River. It conjures, again, I'm a romantic. It conjures thoughts, y'all, of the indigenous peoples. It conjures thoughts of, you know, freaking schoolcraft, the earliest settlers. It, it conjures thoughts of the sportsmen who fought to, like, protect the Buffalo National River. It makes you think of times before. The romantic side of me would love to believe that I caught a glimpse of something that had happened in lifetimes previous, perhaps centuries before. That's the romantic side of me. And it was a really special moment. Now, the truth, honestly, is more likely that some hippie who had been camped upstream dropped some acid and was just out looking for the next exit to Shambhala but I prefer not to look at it that way. I prefer to let my romantic stories be romantic. And to me, the Buffalo River in and of itself is absolutely a romantic place. Not romantic in the um, amorous kind of way, not romantic in the, in the relationship, in the relational kind of way between men and women and, and partners, but more so romantic in the idea of the way things once were, the nostalgic, the romance of nostalgia, the romance of the beauty of a place, the romance of an experience. That's what I am referencing when I say in more of a romantic light. I prefer to think, and I'm going to choose to think, no matter how logical I know it may not be, how illogical it might be, I'm going to choose to think that I caught a glimpse of something from another time and another space right there on the river in its natural setting, because when you spend that kind of intimate time with the river itself, those are the kinds of things that you would want to see and possibly might have the best opportunity to see. But anyway, around it, it was a awesome trip. I slept that night and had some weird dreams. To be completely honest with you, it may have had something to do with seeing a lone paddler in the middle of the night making his way down river for no apparent reason whatsoever. Um, had some weird dreams that night, but had a great sleep, woke up, had another great day, and had a great time on that entire trip, made it down to my takeout, caught my shuttle back to my car, and came back to reality, and you know, that part can be a little bit harsh. No one ever wants to come back off of river time, but alas, we must, you know, it's just how it is. But I just wanted to share this experience with you guys tonight because the Buffalo deserves to be celebrated for its 50th anniversary, for its 50th birthday, however you want to look at it. It deserves to be celebrated because it's a wonderful, absolutely wonderful place. And we're celebrating a triumph of, of eco-consciousness over industrialism and capitalism. And I'm for capitalism again, no emails. I'm for it, but it can run amok and 
gall. I assure you, if the Buffalo River was lost beneath 300 feet of water of some lake that was just basically providing a place for people to drive ski boats and provide hydroelectric power, it would be an absolute tragedy to humankind at large because it's one of those special places. In my mind, it literally resides alongside Yosemite and Yellowstone, a Grand Canyon, Joshua Tree. It belongs there. It absolutely earned and deserves its place alongside those kinds of names and places. It would be a tragedy if industrialism had triumphed. Um, so I think it deserved to be celebrated. And that was the best story that I could think of, of all my years and my experiences on the Buffalo River to truly illustrate what I think makes the Buffalo River so special and the best way to get the chance to experience it in the way that will allow you to see how special it really is. So anyway, I believe we're going to let that wrap us up for tonight. We ran very, very long. So I'm not going to spend any time really trying to dial this down. We're going to cut right on out of here. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for watching. If you're here on YouTube, go over to waywardstories.com. If you'd like to get in touch and tell us some of your own stories, go over to waywardstories.com or you can do it through mywaywardstory at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe and, and word of mouth is important. Tell your friends. Just try to help us get out there, guys. It's the only payment that I ask for. And we'll wrap it up with that. I really enjoyed making tonight's episode for you guys. And I'm looking really forward to the next one. I got another cool story coming in two weeks for you guys. I can't wait to record it. Um, but until we meet two weeks from now, you guys get out there. Go get up to the river. Start working on that 50-mile challenge if you haven't already. Get up there and try to experience it in the best way. Y'all get out there and go do it. And until we meet again, you guys be good to each other.